Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This week, we welcome a guest who is a plastic surgeon, skin expert, female entrepreneur, Dr. Lara Devgan. She invited me on her podcast this spring, and we wanted to have her on the Mo News Podcast to discuss the latest in industry trends, what's happening when it comes to plastic surgery, and skin trends writ large. We like to dive into a variety of topics here on this podcast, and Devgan is a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon, an expert in facial body and breast treatments. She's been in practice for 16 years with her own practice in New York City for the last decade. In this conversation, we're going to be discussing how modern life, technology, social media all impact how we take care of our skin and are influencing plastic surgery trends. She also gives us some perspective on how the industry has become what she calls the Wild West, a lack of regulations, many people purporting to be experts here, including abroad, where there's a trend right now of people heading abroad for various surgeries. So she discusses how you ensure the surgeon you're seeing is the right fit and will help ensure they execute what you want and safely. If you're interested in anything skin, anything plastic surgery, I think you will find this conversation very interesting. All right, before we get started here, a reminder to consider joining Mo News Premium for early access to podcasts like this one and extra content on our members-only podcast and Instagram feed. By joining Mo News Premium, it's a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News, support independent journalism, an added plus is that you get access to this extra content, the extra podcast, the extra Instagram content, Q&As, etc., you can get access today for only $7 a month, and we're actually running a discount right now, two free months for the annual Mo News package, just $70 a year. You can check that all out over at mo.news slash premium. Again, that is mo.news slash premium. All right, with that said, here's today's conversation. Dr. Devkin is an expert here in plastic surgery, minimally invasive facial, breast, and body treatments. She's been in practice for more than a decade, has had her own practice since 2013. She's an industry consultant, a voluntary academic faculty member, a classically trained artist. I saw this in your bio. Which instrument? <laughs> Drawing and painting, but I did play the flute as well. And of course, you have your own luxury medical grade skincare line. And most important, you are the mom to six kids under the age of 11. Yes, they are definitely the most important. So Dr. Devgan, I'm so glad you could join us on the Mo News podcast. Before we get into all the various trends, uh, skincare, etc., I'd love to begin with your story, how you got into this business, how you ended up opening up your own practice. Um, where does it begin? I started out because I really love both art and anatomy. And I grew up in Southern California, really interested in art. I was a classically trained artist. I grew up near the old Getty Museum and used to take art classes on weekends, loved the human form and human anatomy. And as I grew up, I went to college at Yale and really got into art and all of its different forms. And then I found myself gravitating toward this idea that I wanted to do something besides drawing and painting. I wanted to participate in the human experience and helping other people. I really love anatomy and plastic surgery is this most perfect blend of art and anatomy. It allows you to put together the tiny millimeter level details that are the building blocks of not only aesthetics, but also form and function. And Plastic surgery is such a misunderstood field because we think of it in this salacious e-entertainment news spinning way, but it's actually a field that comprises 
burn reconstruction, congenital anomalies like cleft lip and palate, cancer reconstruction, uh, breast reconstruction, extremity replantation, face transplant surgery, salvaging of cut off fingers and cut off legs and arms. Um, it's really a field that's about putting people back together, whether you are a mom who doesn't recognize her body after you've had a bunch of kids or uh, somebody who has grown older. And when you look in the mirror, it doesn't feel like you anymore or someone who just doesn't feel like your body represents who you are on the inside. So that's what really brought me to the field. And I think that there is a human element to identity and bringing the inside to the outside is what I most love about what I do. Talk to me about the impact of what you do and the patients that you've seen and what a difference plastic surgery has made in people's lives and and how it changes people's views of themselves, uh, what they can accomplish, self-esteem, all of the above. Plastic surgery as a field and genre can be so completely transformative. There are situations that you would never even anticipate where a newborn baby with a cleft lip and palate maybe a hundred years ago would have been left on a doorstep or given up for adoption because a society wouldn't have been able to integrate that baby into its functioning unit. But with a relatively simple operation with fewer than $50 of materials, you can reconstruct the baby, allow the baby to thrive and suckle milk and look and function totally normally. And not only restore the parent's feelings of affection toward the child, but the child's ability to grow up normally in society. And, you know, on the flip side, in a really modern way of looking at plastic surgery, there's so many people who are, you know, for example, people who are trans, who feel like they're trapped inside a body that doesn't reflect their gender identity, where you can help them make adjustments to the way the outside physical trappings might not totally reflect the inside. And there are levels of complexity to plastic and reconstructive surgery that are absolutely not represented in what people think about as you know, being an overly puffed lips, Botoxed catwoman face that you, you might think about when you scroll through your Instagram feed. How has technology evolved, even in the time that you've been in this field uh, over the course of the past um, 20 years or so? How has it changed what you do and, and what you're able to do? There's so many ways that technology has changed. I think most of them are for the better. Um, I think technology has added a level of nuance and detail to plastic surgery. The number one most powerful thing that technology has done for plastic surgery is information dissemination. I think, you know, now what used to be a computer is a smartphone and what used to be a website is an Instagram handle or a TikTok feed. And People all around the world can now be exposed to not just before and after images, but they can be exposed to procedural videos and they can understand what is possible with plastic surgery. So something that used to be an encumbrance, you know, if you always have to take a photo from your right side because you're extremely self-conscious about a birthmark or the way your nose looks or you just feel really bad about something you are now much more aware that there are safe and medically responsible options for you. And I think that that's the number one thing. But on a more technical level, 
there is a ton of technology with regard to minimally invasive procedures with Botox, fillers, injectables, laser modalities, microneedling that have made what used to be maximally invasive downtime surgeries into minimally invasive short procedures. And then there's also been a lot of technology associated with imaging and projecting what's possible with procedures to demystify some of the things that you know people didn't used to understand. Has it also had an impact on cost? How has cost evolved over the course of the past few years of, as these new treatments have become available, these non-invasive procedures? That's a hard question to answer. On one hand, plastic surgery has become the wild west of medicine and not not in a good way. The floodgates have opened. There are these billion dollar companies that want to sell products above all else. And so there are very few regulations about who's able to do what. And especially with regard to minimally invasive procedures, there are a lot of people who call themselves, you know, quote, cosmetic surgeons or quote plastic surgeons without being board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. And I think that that makes it a very scary world. Complications are on the rise, but there is a segment of the market that is very group on cheap. It doesn't mean that that's where you should be seeking care. Right. Um, I think people should always be shopping for quality and not price. Um, but on the other hand, I think that there is this feeling about democratization of beauty where it's an impulse that everyone has and you want to feel like it's um, open for everyone. On one hand, I think price accessibility has become more open. Um, on the other hand, because there are more and more people interested in the field and the same few number of people who are highly trained in it, demand has risen while supply has not. So prices for the most qualified people have gone up. What is your advice to people uh, now that you've talked about, you've described it as the wild, wild west out there. What are the most important things people can do if they're interested in some sort of procedure to effectively vet out who they do the procedure with uh, and ensure they're getting proper treatment? I think you want to do a few things. First, you want to look for, as a bare minimum, education and training. Plastic surgery is a real medical profession. It's like cardiac surgery, neurosurgery, transplant surgery. There is a long educational road that leads up to it. And it's at least a decade of education and training to become a board-certified plastic surgeon with tons of gating exams written and oral. And so you need to make sure that you're seeing a board-certified plastic surgeon. And that's a kind of a bare minimum. Um, number two, you want to make sure that you're reviewing before and after images to make sure that your vision of what you want from a procedure is simpatico with the person that you're seeing. You know, if you like Monet, you don't want to see Picasso, even though they're both great. What's right for one person might not be right for the other person. And third, you want to make sure that you have a connection with your surgeon. So you do have to meet someone in person and feel like you click with them because seeking a plastic surgical procedure is sort of like commissioning an artist to make a very beautiful and very high stakes painting for you. So they, they, you have to be on the same page, you have to like what they do, and you have to understand each other. And you have to feel like you have a shared vision, and they're going to do what you want them to do for you. And 
I think all of those things are super important. I hear your classical artist training coming in here in, in these answers, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> it, ha- it, had to cre- it had to creep in somewhere, Mo. Monet, Picasso. It's, no, I, 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 I like it. So we're talking um, here with uh, Dr. Devgan about the state of plastic surgery, uh, trends, etc. We connected on Instagram initially, and obviously social media has had a huge impact on your world. Huge, yeah. People's self-image, uh, the selfie, the Zoom era of the past couple of years. Talk to me about that in terms of what you've seen over the course of the last decade, how social media has been beneficial, but also you know, there's a lot of criticism out there about what it does to people's self-image. And they see these images of perfection, some of them literally not real. Uh, How is that impacting the patients you're seeing, the trends you're seeing? It's been a weird time. People sometimes don't know what's up and what's down. I think that it's the era of Facetune and Photoshop and filters. And I feel for the next generation, you know, we were talking about my six kids. I have two young daughters and four young sons and two new baby kittens. Full house over there. A full house and a husband. Um, It's a full house. But, um, you know, I I worry about that next generation because they're growing up in this era where it's hard to understand what's real and what's not real with all of these social media images. I see patients in the office and sometimes they ask me questions like, how do I get rid of my pores? And those are you know, those are like literally dermal channels in your skin that you cannot get rid of. But we're so used to seeing airbrushed images of fake skin that, you know, everything has a Paris filter on it that you don't know what is real and what's not. Um, so I think that there are some very pernicious things about social media that make it confusing for people to know what's up. Um, I think just the concept of a selfie, right? I've read that people are going to take more than a million selfies in their lifetimes, that each one of us is going to take more than a million selfies. And just the act of a selfie foreshortens the face and it puts the nose closer to the lens of the camera than any other feature. And I've now done more than 20,000 non-surgical rhinoplasties, which happens to be a procedure that is especially compelling on social media because it looks so cool and the time-lapse video is so awesome. But people don't like their noses. And part of the reason for that is driven by social media and selfies because the nose is so close to the selfie camera. And I think that that in itself becomes a problem. You know, we're staring at our faces on Zoom, and that also is distorting our images of our faces and our feelings that our dark circles are too hollow. And, you know, it's it's not totally normal that we're looking at ourselves as often as we do. So there are some definite weird things about social media. On the flip side, social media has put our computers in the palms of our hands, and it's given us so much information It's taken down so many barriers and realigned social mores so that all of these stigmas about procedures and all of these lies people used to tell each other about the secrets that used to be hidden inside doctor's offices are now out in the open, that celebrities and private citizens alike are now sharing what they do so much more. And that has helped people a lot. So, you know... It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I mean, to what extent, you're talking about the pernicious effect here, 
are you talking to patients and reality checking for them? So they're not, you know, they have a, a misguided sense of what's real. You know, literally you're describing people saying, get rid of my pores. And you're like, no, that's biology. Uh, this is part of your body. How has that changed the, the consults that you have with people, the types of questions that you're asking potential clients? I think it's changed a lot. Yeah. There are often moments where I have to spend time taking a step back and rewinding and re-educating people's expectations. You know, I think people have gone to that peak social media moment of 2020 pandemic-ness and they've kind of come back a little. So we're at a state of more reasonableness now and people understand that not everything they see on social media is totally true. But certainly there are moments when I need to have conversations with patients about how what they see on social media is not going to be achievable. I often use reference images that patients bring in as part of my consultations to make sure that I'm able to deliver what somebody wants. Um, because I think a visual reference can be extremely helpful. And Often people will show me visual references that are achievable and very possible, but once in a while people will show me images that are many standard deviations from what is possible given their baseline anatomy. And so that's always something that's important for a responsible person to discuss. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do. But you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. When it comes to trend lines, uh, more recent trend lines in the last uh, in the last couple of years, even in the most recent months, what has become? I'd love kind of a kind of broad strokes. What's become less popular, more popular as far as what you're seeing right now? Broad strokes, I think less popular is the audaciousness. So oversized features are out. I think the trends toward big lips big cheeks, oversized buttocks and hips, um, kind of the 2010 to 2020 era was really characterized by an exaggerated set of features and almost a peacock feather approach to plastic surgery where people had 
super hourglass figures and that whole concept of the, you know, the Instagram face that the New Yorker reported really well. And I think that's over. I think what we're seeing now is a lean into this concept of subtle as the new dramatic and the concept of micro optimization. So people, generally speaking, want more subtle everything. So in terms of body contouring, smaller, more proportionate breast augmentation, fitter, tinier body contouring outcomes. In terms of facial surgery, the outcome that we are going for, generally speaking, is very subtle brow lifts as opposed to the extremely angulated eyebrows that we were seeing five years ago. You know, it's not about the maleficent cheekbones that could cut glass. Now it's just about improving your own features and optimizing the way you look. So if I were to characterize that more simply, I would say five or 10 years ago, it was more about an exaggerated, almost cartoonish emphasis on, you know, what was the caricature of you? And now it's what is the micro-optimized version of you? So identity preservation more than exaggeration. Where did that start? I mean, how, how are you able to pinpoint kind of how those trends evolve or whether, you know, what popped the balloon on the previous trend or is it more gradual than that? I have a theory that COVID had something to do with it. I think that 2020 and societal shutdown was such, you know, that was such a full stop halt in everything for all of us. That was such an awful time for the world. We all have friends and colleagues and acquaintances who got so ill and died. Society shut down. I know for me personally, New York, living in New York City, there was a morgue truck parked a couple blocks away. I personally donated personal protective equipment to nearby hospitals. I was asked to volunteer and, you know, it, it, it was a big full stop moment. I think everyone all around the world felt very deeply affected by it. And I think that it made people feel more subdued and people wore much less makeup. People wore sweatpants. It was a whole athleisure moment. And I think at that time, everyone's Botox faded, their fillers went down. It was kind of a, a big reckoning moment. And once you come out of something like that, it probably almost feels silly to go back into a rearing with like, a big gigantic statement plastic surgery look. So, I mean, I don't really know. I made that up on the spot, but that's what I, <laughs> it was yeah. very convincing. Uh, no, but it, I mean, I think it totally <laughs> I mean, makes I sense. Think about yeah. this, I think about this stuff a lot because it's what I do, but um, I have my theories. And then I think, of course, there are definitely societal tastemakers. I think that a lot, a lot of societal tastemakers and public figures um, have, kind of toned down what they're putting forward. Um, and I think that you're seeing that in micro trends, like the trend toward slimness, the trend toward buckle fat pad excision and submental liposuction, and the trend toward, you know, more subtlety and more slimness. I think all of those things are a reflection of a more subdued society. I wanted to actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to ask you about the, the buckle fat procedure that seems to have really become all the rage recently. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah. It's so funny, right? Trend pieces are very funny. That procedure has been around since before I was born, Okay, just for the record. But but um, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been written about. I remember there was one day I was in surgery and I got out of the operating room and I had messages waiting for me from like the New York Times, like Washington Post, the Zoe report, like four or five different news outlets that were like wanting to write about buccal fat pad excision. And I was like, what happened? Did the president get a buckle fat pad excision or what <laughs> on earth happened? That, and one day everyone was trying to, you know, do an interview about this. But um, anyway, it's very funny. Apparently somebody had an Instagram photo that looked slim in the cheek. And is that, I mean, that procedure, how, how much more popular has that become in the last couple of years? And is it right for certain types of people and not other people? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. Buckle fat pad excision is an elegant 20 to 30 minute procedure, wherein a small one centimeter incision is made in the mid cheek sulcus inside the mouth. And about a walnut size amount of fat is removed in order to create a slim feeling in the middle of the cheek. So it kind of gives you this model-esque Zoolander feeling in the face. Um, and it can be very attractive for the right patient. It can also be very unattractive in the wrong patient. So you would not want to do it on someone who's overly thin and create a gaunt feeling in the face. Um, you wouldn't want to do it on someone who has too much tissue laxity unless you're also doing it with a facelift or skin excision procedure. Um, but if someone is a little full or they could benefit from some definition in the character of their face, it can be quite beautiful to create a little more cheekbone and jawline contouring. And it's a really nice procedure, but it's just one of many tools in the toolbox. Uh, some people call it a celebrity secret plastic surgery because, you know, that's a cute way of talking about it. Mm -hmm. But um, it is one little thing in our armamentarium. So I've also seen some recent articles about uh, reversal on the rise, cosmetic surgery regrets. Uh, have you seen anything in your practice or as you're kind of looking across the industry when it comes to that or any procedures that were trendy in recent years that you're seeing an um, increasing number of people reverse? Yes, I think that um, in the 2010 to 2020 era, there was a huge, huge preponderance of what's called BBL or Brazilian butt lift or autologous fat grafting to the buttocks. And it's kind of a problematic operation for many reasons, not the least of which is that it has a very high mortality rate. But this operation is probably the number one surgery that has seen requests for reversal industry-wide because putting a large amount of fat in the buttock region can lead to a dysmorphic look and it can also create heaviness that doesn't age particularly well. And that's something that is real to consider. And I guess I would say more generally, trends are not a great idea when it comes to plastic surgery. You know, trends are for temporary things. Trends are for clothes. Trends are for fashion. Trends are for makeup. Trends are for things that you can easily take off. It's very difficult to take off parts of your face and body. And so I would caution people to think about plastic surgery with a very, very long view. And 
whether it's a surgical or a non-surgical procedure, there has to be a very extreme amount of aesthetic judgment. You want to be very conservative and you want to think about it with a really, really long run. So we've been talking just now about some invasive procedures. In terms of non-invasive or less invasive procedures, um, are there ones that you typically um, recommend or that you uh, suggest people start with before they turn to some of the more uh, significant type of procedures? A classic thing to think about it. Well, first of all, let me just rewind and say, if something doesn't bother you, then you don't have to listen to anything that I'm saying. So <laughs> um, just just like literally press pause and turn me off. Because I think that one of the most pernicious things about plastic surgeons is the constant pressure that they put on other people. Mm. And I, I hate that. I hate the hard sell. So I would hate to be put in that category. And if you are happy, then that is the ultimate end goal. But if something's bothering you, I think one of the most frequent things that comes up is the idea of prevention and preventative anti-aging. So a great thing to think about is the idea of maintaining your skin quality before you start to see deeply etched fine lines and really bad signs of aging. And so micro droplet Botox, aka baby Botox or neuromodulator, is something that is pretty easy, pretty non-invasive, relatively low on the totem pole in terms of expense. And that's something that can be applicable to a wide range of people across the population. We'd explain that. So there's multiple levels of Botox? Botox is a medicine. It's a drug and yeah. it can be dosed. So you can do it at a very low level, uh, sort of like taking just one Tylenol if you have only a little headache um, versus three if it's really bad. And um, so you can do a very tiny amount of Botox so that you preserve natural movement, but have an improvement in skin quality. And um, that's a very nice way to give someone an extension of beautiful skin. Let's talk, I mean, you're talking preventive skin care, anti-aging, which I, uh, many of us are interested in. It's funny, as uh, I was talking to my producer, she happens to be 25, I'm 40, and uh, we were prepping some questions here. And she's like, it'd be interesting to find out, Dr. Devkin, you know, different skincare regimens based on ages. And maybe there isn't, but I was curious, you know, if you're in your 20s versus your 30s versus your 40s, are there things that you suggest uh, people do at various ages? Yes, totally. And I think that one of the best things that you can do in your 20s is to avoid sun exposure. So SPF is something that you've probably heard a lot about, but a zinc and titanium based SPF is the state of the art when it comes to sun protection. So there are chemical SPFs and physical SPFs. Physical SPFs are better because they block sun exposure. So zinc and titanium are the two best agents for sun protection. And even if you really don't care about skin care products, that is something that's pretty easy to do. And those products exist all across the market in terms of price range. You can get something very inexpensive at the drugstore. Sometimes the inexpensive products are hard to wear because they have a chalky whiteness to them. The nicer products can have color correction and pigment and stuff like that that make them a little more palatable. Um, I think another product to think about in your 20s is a vitamin CBE ferulic serum. Vitamin C is an evidence-based product that 
improves antioxidant protection of the skin. So every time we're outside in the sun, in the environment, we're getting all these oxidative injuries to the skin from pollution, from the sun, from UVA and UVB radiation. And so antioxidant protection from um, vitamin CBE ferulic serum helps with protecting oxidative damage. It also helps with fine lines, hyperpigmentation, brown spots, and melasma. So those are things that are really easy in your 20s if you're a total minimalist, SPF and vitamin C. In your 30s, you might want to add a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic serum. Hyaluronic acid is the major component of the body's own collagen. It's a complex sugar molecule. And if it's mixed molecular weight, the small fragments will penetrate into the dermis so that it will hydrate from within. And the large fragments will rest on top to improve barrier protection and give the skin a little bit more turgor and also help boost collagen production if that product is also fortified with niacinamide. And so that's like, you know, I'm kind of alluding a little bit to the products in my skincare line right now, but um, so our hyaluronic is fortified with niacinamide. So it actually will build some collagen for your skin. A peptide eye cream is kind of my next pick for your 30s. The skin around your eyes is the thinnest on the body. And so using peptides, which are um, plant-based proteins to help improve the turgor and thickness of that skin will help you with some aging-related concerns. And then in the 30s to 40s, that's when you want to start introducing a retinol bacuchiol serum. And retinol is really amazing for improving skin cell turnover, fighting fine lines, improving hyperpigmentation, reducing blemishes like pimples, and also improving overall skin quality and turgor texture and luster. So those are kind of a very simple watered down approach to skincare if you are an ultra minimalist. Yeah. How much time should people plan on spending on their skincare every day? What's the minimum amount of time that you can spend minimum on your skin? Well, also, yeah. If you do two minutes in the morning, two minutes at night, you're going to be fine. There you go. Just like if you could handle doing like washing your face and doing a hyaluronic peptide eye cream SPF in the morning mm-hmm. and vitamin CB, ferulic retinol bacuchiol at night, you would be fine. That's two minutes morning, two minutes at night. You were talking uh, SPF in sun. Is there a standard number that you don't go below? Is there an amount of time that you can, you know, people like to, like to be tan, right? They want to get a little bit of, and they also want to get vitamin D. Is there a standard amount of minutes you should be spending out there, an SPF that you need to hit? What is the sweet spot? You want to really minimize the amount of time that you're spending in the sun during the brightest portions of the day. So I would go outside in the morning or in the late afternoon. Um, I'd try to physically cover yourself with a rash guard and a hat and sunglasses. Um, my kids like are always trying to make me go outside and do outdoor activities with them. So they like to ski and surf. So I'm really stuck at all seasons of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Outside, yes. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are such a professional hazard for me. Don't you understand? Well, Doc, you have it good because some people, they complain their kids won't ever get outside. And your kids only want to get outside. They're really great kids. I'm joking. (laughs) But um, I really love them. But um, 
you know, you want to really do as much as you can to minimize that because there is literally no product in the world, no matter how much you apply it, that is going to fight that giant ball of radiation in the sky. There's nothing that's going to fight it. And so you need to not be in the sun if you want to not get sun damage. And that's the, the there are no two ways about it. There's no magic hack, but more is better and less sun exposure is better. Got it. So there's no minimum SPF where you're like, you want to keep it above. Oh, yeah. SPF. No, I mean, I think keeping it above 40 is good. Okay. Um, any other tips that you give to your patients? And in this case, everyone who's listening to this podcast, as far as um, sun exposure and just general habits that will ensure, again, that you can um, not prematurely age your skin. Uh, and Just be beautiful and happy and carefree forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just general life tips. Yeah. So stay out of the sun. You want to try to talk with your voice and your hands instead of scrunching up your face all the time, because mm -hmm. those micro expressions will become harder and harder to fight as you age. Um, try to sleep on your back and not on your side because positional wrinkles will also become more difficult to fight over time. And even if you're doing all the things with injectables, it's going to be very, very difficult and increasingly expensive to get rid of those lines. So it's not it's not just waking hours, it's sleeping hours that you can be doing Waking something. and sleeping. Yeah. Imagine if you're like pressing your face into your pillow, that's like a big nasolabial fold you're making. Um, you want to think about staying well hydrated. Um, I think that with increasing longevity, you know, Mo, our generation is going to live to be more than 100. You hear that, millennials I, and Gen Z beyond, maybe? I know. Zillennials, listen up. Yeah. We're going to live to be pretty old. It is, it's a blessing and it's a curse. And so we have to really think about this in a prevention-oriented way. And so it's not just about what we can put on our skin and inject in our faces and which surgeries we can do. There's also this idea of beauty from the inside out. So besides the habits I'm talking about, the old fashioned things that our parents told us about eating and nutrition, um, trying to stay within a narrow band of a healthy weight, getting exercise. There's increasing data that supports the use of um, vitamins and hydrolyzable collagen that is digestible to improve skin hydration and elasticity. I think that the next wave of research in plastic surgery and medical aesthetics is going to focus on things like nutraceuticals and things like preventing hair loss, preventing graying of the hair. How do we keep our joints supple? How do we stay walking? How do we enjoy intimacy, sexual function, mental function? How do we keep talking? How do we improve the quality of life now that we know that the quantity of life is going to be so great? So plastic surgery is not just a field about how to look good. It's also a field about confidence and identity. And increasingly, it's going to be a field about how to make quality of life extend through this long, long quantity of life as we get to be 100 to 120. And related to that, uh, you know, if we're going to be living these longer lives, God willing, um, nutrition, I imagine, plays a role there, what we're eating. Um, what are the foods that, uh, you know, you say double up on and please avoid as somebody who deals with skin on a daily basis? Yeah, leafy green vegetables 
broccoli sprouts, interestingly, have like this really amazing antioxidant power. They don't taste that great, but um, to me, but uh, but they are very powerful. I think there's a lot of research that supports a little bit of a low carb diet that's higher in protein and higher in vegetables and more complex carbohydrates. So that Mediterranean diet that that we've all been reading about for decades now. I think that some of the common sense things that we know about, um, one thing that I think is really interesting is that medical science irrefutably supports that the healthiest amount of alcohol in your life is zero. So it's not a little bit, it's not a couple glasses a week, it's literally zero. And there's a good deal of data to support that. So um, that's something to think about and throw out there. I know that people um, like to drink, but that's um, not good for brain function. It's not good for body function or for your organs. Um, and uh, same is true for tobacco, nicotine, um, vaping, cigarettes, and all of its forms. Dr. Devgan, thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, all things plastic surgery, all things skincare. Um, what is the best way people can follow the latest and greatest in your world? I am at Lara Devgan MD on Instagram and TikTok. And my skincare line is at Dr. Lara Devgan at Instagram and on TikTok. Dr. Lara Devgan, thank you. Uh, and good luck uh, with everything in your working world and then also managing uh, six kids and what do you say, two cats? Two kittens, six kids, and one husband. <laughs> good luck. Thank you. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to this conversation and thank Lara Devgan for spending time with us. Also having us on her podcast, we love to see uh, the reach and the variety of Mo News fans out there, and it was so great to speak with her. You can learn more about what she does over on her Instagram account at Lara Devgan MD. That is L A R A D E V G A N M D uh, on Instagram and also her website, drlaradevgan.com. Devgan is D E V G A N. I have it all linked in the show notes. All right, as we conclude here, a reminder to consider joining Mo News Premium for early access to podcast episodes like this one, extra exclusive content, Q&As on our private Instagram account, as well as our members-only podcast. By joining Mo News Premium, that is the way to support what we're doing here at Mo News, support independent journalism. The added plus is that extra content. And knowing that you're supporting the growth of a news account that is just trying to get it right and keep it down the middle. You can join Mo News Premium for just $7 a month. We're actually running a special deal right now for the annual package, two free months. You can find the latest details over at mo.news slash premium. Again, mo.news slash premium. I'll see everyone again very soon.